I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. It's hour three of BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Eddie Gross here. Still plenty more to get to. We've got contest picks for week 17 and, of course, our critically acclaimed lightning bets. But now it's time to talk college football. And joining us now to do just that is Parker Fleming of Sumer Sports. Please make sure to check him out on X at Stats O'War. Parker, the irony is not lost on me that we are having this conversation right as SMU is kicking off its bowl game at the uh, at Fenway Park against Boston College. Uh, you, of course, doing some fantastic work uh, analyzing TCU in the Big 12, in addition to all of your other uh, college football duties and NFL duties at Sumer Sports. So, yes, make sure I will start by uh, mentioning uh, our SMU-TCU uh, friendly, not-so-friendly rivalry between us. Uh, but let's start by talking about the college football playoff semifinals here. We've got Alabama and Michigan. Wolverines are still one-and-a-half-point favorites with a total of 44 and a half. And my first question to you is this about this game. We look at J.J. McCarthy and we look at someone who the stats certainly point out can be a really efficient quarterback, something where, say, Michigan hasn't asked him to do, say, a whole heck of a lot. But I do wonder when it comes to analyzing what he can do if, say, a small sample size is almost to his detriment in that there might be a reason why we haven't seen like a massive aerial attack by Michigan. Is that something that maybe concern you uh, concerns you in, in terms of say the Wolverines chances in this one? Certainly. I think uh, for, for two levels, one, I, I we, I, we all know that, um, or Michigan, excuse me, against Alabama is not going to be able to do what they've done all season, which is get a lead and then sit and run the ball over and over and over again um, and just kind of grind the clock down, grind the kind of opponents down. I mean, they had, uh, what was that, an eight-minute touchdown drive in the second half against Penn State there and just kind of, you know, absolutely milk the clock away on the strength of their physicality. And, and certainly their front, um, you know, their, their offensive front is very, very physical, but I'm not sure they're going to be able to get away with that against Alabama. And, um there's going to be a lot of pressure uh, on J.J. McCarthy here, and he frankly hasn't had as many reps as you would like, especially against these high-quality defenses because the run game is so good and because they can get away from away with it. Alabama's run defense relatively worse than their pass defense, 25th in EPA per play allowed um, and uh, 16th in defensive success rate allowed. Now, Michigan, of course, 11th in, in success rate on offense, 14th in uh, EPA per rush, both of those rushing numbers. And so they have been very, very good at it, but there's going to be a huge kind of selection issue. 
Michigan is rushing the ball 2.1 percentage points more than the average team given down distance and situation. When you consider that most of their situations involve big leads at the end of games, um, that, that, that certainly heightens. They are rushing the ball a whole lot. Uh, I believe their fourth quarter run percentage was as high as 68% this season. So that's not going to happen. I'm very worried about one, putting McCarthy in the spotlight when he hasn't had a lot of reps, especially reps in negative situations where he might have to overcome a lead. And two, I'm worried about them having to play full four four quarters of football um, offensively, which is something they really have not had to do all season. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is interesting, and maybe this is sort of a conversation for another day, but this is why you schedule tough opponents in non-conference, right? It's not just about having a resume builder, but it's also being battle-tested. And yeah, I know it's a little cliche in that approach, but we know Alabama was battle-tested because even though they did lose to Texas and they lost uh, rather handily, at the same time, in some ways, that game made them a good bit better, and we saw some real progress by the Tide leading up to this contest. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, I, you know, we don't want to go galaxy brain and say, oh, it's good to lose um, or it's good to have, um, you know, struggle against bad teams, which we've seen Alabama do at times this season with mm-hmm. uh, South Florida and Auburn, for example. But I do think that there is something to be said about adversity. And I do think there's something to be said about Alabama's improvement week over week. Um, and, and not to suggest anything about, you know, Michigan being complacent per se, but just it's hard to it, it's hard for me to believe that they'll be able to reach into the well and just pull out this J.J. McCarthy uh, explosive passing game that they haven't been able to really pull out at any point of the season, especially if Alabama were to get a lead. It's very, very hard for Michigan to come from behind there. So as far as what your numbers are saying, how does this game play out? Um, I, I like Alabama plus plus money. I've got this about one, one and a half. I think that that underweights the the Tide's recent um, improvements and kind of how they match up specifically on on offense the side of the ball we haven't really talked about alabama's offense uh you know michigan's very balanced they're third in epa per pass 13th in epa per rush allowed um but with jalen milrow and kind of their you know dink and bomb offense with with his rushing threat as well i I don't think uh, michigan has faced a quarterback like milrow i don't think they faced a quarterback even stylistically not just in terms of quality as milrow and so i think we're looking at a michigan defense that's really going to um, be faced with, again, something they haven't seen or something they haven't been forced to defend. And I think all Alabama needs is a couple explosives here, get a lead, and then they can actually do kind of what Michigan has done historically uh, this season, which is, uh, you know, kind of sit on a lead and, and just dare the other team to beat them. So I like Alabama plus money. I think, you know, Saban, Saban as an underdog is certainly something I'm always interested in. And, and I, I do think that this will be, if Michigan wins, very, very close. But uh, otherwise, I, I, I would go ahead and say I think that Alabama uh, will win this outright. 
Let's move on now to the Sugar Bowl between Texas and Washington. Longhorns are still four-point favorites uh, in this contest. I'm curious whenever we're analyzing this Longhorn attack because certainly Steve Sarkeesian has gotten really creative. He's gone deep into the bag, so to speak, in terms of you know what he did in the Big 12 championship game. What he did against Alabama I thought was really underrated in terms of finally getting into deep throws, something that we didn't see, uh, say, in the 2022 edition of Alabama-Texas. But I'm wondering in a game like this, like, yes, utmost respect for Washington's defense, utmost respect for this game. But at the same time, you do have to win one more contest if you do get this one. So how do you quantify this idea of, yes, Sark will get creative in a game like this, but he can't necessarily pull out all the stops knowing full well that Alabama or Michigan will be looming one week later. I think especially here, knowing the caliber of coach you're going to face in the in the final, if you win this game, I think you've just got to say, we're, we're going to do what we can to win this game and then take care of that um, kind of when we when we get there. Um, you know, I, I, Texas has been just absolutely abysmal in the red zone and, and, and in scoring opportunities on offense. I don't know whether that's creativity like you suggested or whether that's Quinn Ewers and processing or whether when the field gets short, there's just too much going on and they have trouble kind of getting those one read uh, looks, but uh, Texas 106th in points per quality possession this season. Um, what bodes well for them, though, is Washington's defense is 100 in points per quality possession allowed. So Texas will have some opportunity to get some of those big play touchdowns, to get some of those finishing drives. Um, and yeah, if they can leave a little in the tank, great. But I really think that what we'll be looking for is trying to twist the knife and really make those opportunities count here to make sure they win this game and then take care of the national championship when it uh, when it comes. So if Washington somehow finds a way to win this game, how will they do it? Will it be containing Quinn Ewers? Will it be uh, Michael Penix Jr. Uh, you know, playing out of his mind? What do you think is the likeliest outcome if Washington does win? I think it'll be the best run defense performance that Washington has had all season. Uh, they are 65th in opponent-adjusted EPA per rush. They're 117th in raw defensive success rate against rushes. So if they can stop the run game, and uh, and really just kind of you know give some breathing room to their secondary who's going to be challenged by these just extremely talented texas wide receivers and tight ends um that that's really going to be the path there i think if they can kind of stymie them as well uh texas is 17th in early downs epa washington's defense is 73rd they've really made hay and cleaned up kind of in the second uh, half of series on those third and fourth downs. so uh early downs and and preventing those um explosive rushes and getting a little bit of havoc in the run game is really what Washington's defense is going to need to do here to stop this. Uh, additionally, on the other side of the ball, they're going strength on strength here uh, against Texas, you know, uh, with Washington's offense being fifth in EPA per play, Texas's defense being sixth. Um, but Washington does have a slight advantage. They're better at passing than rushing. And they're, you know, Texas's pass defense is a little bit worse than their run defense. So again, you want to mitigate the big guys up front, especially uh, against Texas here. And you want to be able to get Michael Penix in rhythm, get him some good throws, trust your guys downfield, um, and, and really be able to hit a couple of those big plays. I'll be interested to watch the third and fourth down battle for Washington's offense because they have been excellent there. 51.3% conversion on third and fourth downs. Texas's defense is allowing 28.9. That's second in the nation. So uh, Washington on offense is going to have to get Penix in rhythm early, have to scheme up ways to kind of avoid Texas's strength, that defensive front seven, and they're going to have to figure out ways to convert on third and fourth downs and extend drives when they don't get those explosives. So you still feel like that Texas can cover the four, and assuming that's the case, who do you like between Alabama and Texas if you had to, say, uh, put some sort of spread number on it or say an outright bet? 
I think um, I have I specifically haven't run this, but eyeballing this and looking at it, I think that we're looking at Alabama three and a half minus three and a half for uh, for my line for the final. That's at least where I would open it. Um, I think that it's hard to beat a team twice. I think Alabama is obviously and dramatically a much better team than they were in um, the uh, the first matchup. And Alabama's defense is just really, really, you know, so much better than really what Texas has seen uh, this season. And that defense has gotten better as well. So I would have slightly lean towards, towards Alabama there, about that three and a half range. Um, and I, I would be inclined to to take uh, an under, I think, because I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it's going <laughs> to open like high 40s. And I'd be interested in that. I'm also interested in, uh, I don't know if I said this out loud, but Texas, Washington, I, I like an under as well um, here. I mean, we're seeing it 64 and a half. I think that we could be, you know, in the 50s very, very easily here in this game in terms of both teams kind of running a little bit more um, and both teams not being excellent at finishing drives. You could see you could see an under in both games if, if Texas makes it to the championship as well. He's Parker Fleming of Sumer Sports here on BetQL Daily. Let's move on now to some of the other uh, New Year's Six Bowl games. Uh, if, if there is one that really stands out to you, looking at Georgia, Florida State, a lot of defections for the Seminoles going up against Georgia. Right now, the Bulldogs are 19 and a half point favorites uh, in the Orange Bowl. Uh, but certainly there are other big bowls in terms of uh, Oregon and Liberty and uh, Ole Miss Penn State. Which one do you feel like uh, is the best play among those? Yeah, it's, it's hard with, with Florida State and Georgia, both guys opting out, and you know, even some Georgia players not seen with the team this this week to really have a good feel on that. Um, you, you'd think with kind of the narrative that Georgia could pull away, but motivation factors are, are kind of weird for it being left out of the playoff. Uh, my, my favorite play of the remaining games is um, uh, Ole Miss as a dog. I think you can get that at four and a half. Um, still looking looking at an odds board right here live as we're doing it. And yeah. uh, I, I think that they just got a lot of momentum in the portal. They've got some really explosive athletes. Penn State, you know, new coordinators on both sides of the ball, uh, some opt-outs strategically. I really think Ole Miss will be able to, to challenge them in the secondary and their pass defenses, you know, for, for, for the struggles that Ole Miss's rush defense has, their 57th in EPA per rush, their pass defense is 25th. I think they'll be able to be really disruptive against the Penn State offense that if they get out of sync, uh, really, really kind of struggle so that's when I'm, I'm super interested in um i thought a little bit about a liberty team total but i think that you've missed the bus on that if you haven't already gotten it because it's gotten a little bit high for me uh just looking at the implied uh spread and total because liberty's offense is very very good i mean their defense is terrible and i think oregon's going to score as much as they can uh, or as much as they want to frankly but i do think that liberty will be able to draw up a couple plays you know that let's Let's imagine they score on both scripted drives, you know, first first quarter and then out of the first half or out of the second half. Um, and, and then you're looking at, oh, can they break that 20? But 24 is a little bit high for me for, for the Liberty team total. But I think they'll put some points up on Oregon uh, e- even before you factor in, you know, kind of the opt out and, and motivation situation for Oregon as well. Yes, you mentioned Ole Miss, four and a half point dogs here uh, in the Peach Bowl against Penn State. Definitely, I like that side as well with a total of 48 and a half. So uh, definitely backing the Rebs as well. General thought when it comes to bowl season, because I know a lot of people get really apprehensive about betting on teams and maybe have a lot of players in the transfer portal. You don't know which teams are taking bowl games seriously, all that good stuff. And sometimes you can even make fun of teams that are in really, really good bowl games and they're not taking it seriously or they're just not as good as what we saw during the regular season. I'm curious, though, when we saw the start of bowl season, we saw a lot of comebacks. And so there were a lot of great live betting opportunities. Is that something that you think can be a winning formula going forward in terms of betting on underdogs when they're down, say, a couple of scores or maybe even more than that? 
Yeah, especially with with strategic positions and watching some of these. Um, I think about the Cal Texas Tech game where Texas Tech fumbled the opening kickoff. They go down, you know, 14, 14 7, and then they roll off, what, 31 straight points or something uh, there at the end where you thought, okay, I, I thought Texas Tech was the better team going in. There's a little bit of negative variance. Let me swoop in and just see if I can get Texas Tech again and, and recoup there. So live betting's good. Or you think about the Georgia Southern um, Ohio game where Georgia Southern just came out and. Um, evidently it hit the town pretty hard the night before. And, and you, you could see live, you're like, Oh, these guys got nothing. There's nothing happening here. Even Western Kentucky with a passing offense against old dominion, you know, again, old dominion run heavy team, not, not super great. They, they get a big lead there. And then Western Kentucky with uh, a tight end, nobody just starts slinging it again. And, uh, and you can think, Oh yeah. I th again, I thought Western Kentucky's passing offense would be enough here. It looks like they're kind of coming back. Maybe I can get this before, before the market reacts to it. So plenty of opportunities live. I think especially with motivation totals really, really matter as well. Um, I, I know I was kind of chapped because yesterday the Tulane game, for instance, 14 points on two plays based off turnovers there. You have a team total 17 and a half and boom, it's already gone, even though it was the right side. So live <laughs> betting is certainly a way you can recoup some of that bowl season variance if you're if you're sharp. Yeah, I, I uh, backed Tulane uh, plus the points there uh, yesterday and uh, that one hurt just a little bit just because I felt like, okay, yes, you don't have the head coach, you don't have the quarterback, but they had all the assistance there. The infrastructure was there and it didn't work yeah. out so, and there was a point yeah, in the second half where it was like within within seven in the second half it's raining and gross right. and i was sitting on i was sitting on virginia tech minus ten and a half and i was like this is done no way we're gone like completely uh, over balls balls sliding everywhere but uh it was that was that was a good <laughs> one spot for sure yeah i'm happy for you parker well done parker <laughs> fleming of sumer sports please make sure to catch him on twitter at stats award parker thank you so much we greatly appreciate it this is back to daily presented by betmgm coming up next our week 17 contest picks right here on the betql network we'll be right back with betql daily presented by bet mgm on the betql network